630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Just going to Toronto, it, it kind of got off to a rocky start. And, um, you know, for myself, I, I was, you know, the kind of the, the top guy in Colorado as far as power play went and played a lot of minutes and, and going in and trying to adjust to, you know, not being in that role and not being that guy. It, it got off to a bit of a rocky start and, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to kind of reel things in when they're spiraling in, in hockey. It's a big confidence game. So um, for me it, right now, you know, I feel like I've got a, a whole new perspective on, on going into Edmonton and I know the opportunities there and, uh, you know, I'm just super excited to make the most of it. There's a little bit from one of the newest Edmonton Oilers, defenseman Tyson Berry signed a one-year deal on Saturday after having a bit of a rough ride last year with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving weekend. Best of Inside Sports on 6.30 Ched tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. The Edmonton Riverhawks will be playing at a REMAX field starting in June. They will play in the West Coast Baseball League. So they're the only Alberta team in the league. So that means there could be a lot of travel. I talked to managing director Randy Gregg. I think what we're going to do, in fact, what we've done is as part of our um, our offer to join um, the West, West Coast League, uh, let's have a travel subsidy. We'll, so we'll be flying these teams in. We'll have three-game uh, series, and uh, so it should work out really well. You know, it's one of the tough things about being a part of the Prairies, uh, but to be honest with you, the, the West Coast League unanimously agreed to have Edmonton join, not only because the, the greatness of the sporting history at Edmonton, but the beautiful REMAX field. I, I think the quality of our, our business group uh, didn't hurt at all. We have 28 individuals uh, who are all Edmontonians who are looking forward to working hard to make sure this is a really good franchise for all our citizens. All right, and do you not have Dale Wishawan involved, who's a minority owner of the Golden Knights? Well, we do, and now that the uh, Golden Knights have been knocked out, he's even more active, which uh, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't look forward to that. Uh, Dale's a great uh, man, and he's been a big part of the community here for a long time. He supports so many different ventures, uh, both charitable and otherwise. And so, and, and people don't realize that Dale Wishwin went down to Portland State and played uh, a number of years down there on a, on a baseball scholarship. So baseball was his sport. Uh, I don't even know whether Dale can skate, but I know he can hit and he can catch. And so when we contacted each other and talked about uh, the opportunity to be involved in baseball, he was all in. All right, Randy Gregg joining us then at Inside Sports. He's the managing director for the Edmonton Riverhawks who will play in the West Coast League starting next summer. You you mentioned where the players are going to come from. Uh, Is there anything you can tell me about uh, other managers or coaching staff at this point? Well, not at this point, but we're really excited. We're in negotiations with a fabulous coaching staff. Uh, we're going to probably announce that in a couple of months, but uh, certainly the coaching staff have to be able to handle uh, these young players that are coming up, really dedicated, wanting to hone their skills. You know, th- we're not in a situation where we're going to change certain things, maybe pitching mechanics or whatever, but just really uh, lead them along, get them a little bit stronger, and, and really give them a great experience up here of not only playing a lot of baseball within two and a half months, but seeing Edmonton and seeing what Western Canada is all about. Uh, the coaching staff will be important from a recruiting standpoint, but for what, from what we understand from the West Coast League, uh, there are many, many great players down south who want to get out of the South Key, come up and keep on playing baseball. So um, you know, we're still going to work hard on the recruiting, but we think we'll be able to get some really quality players, and, and not only quality players, but people who want to come up and, and enjoy a different experience here in Edmonton. 
Randy, you wished all the best to the prospects as, as they moved to Spruce Grove. That was a story we were following on this show over the last two or three years that they were trying to get a longer-term lease. It, it didn't work out for them, so they go to Spruce Grove. Uh, Patrick Cassidy, who's the managing partner of the prospects, was quoted in an article written by Jerry Montajonga Post Media saying that our league sees this as a totally unnecessary, hostile intrusion into our footprint, something both leagues have respected for this ta- past 10 or more years. Do you have any response to that? Is that uh, valid in your mind, or how do you see this situation of two teams in different leagues in the same metropolitan area? Yeah, so, you know, I think I can uh, explain that a little bit more, and not only explain it, but also verify with emails uh, that are documented. Uh, through the RFS process, the City of Edmonton decided to choose an operator whose vision uh, aligned with their goals, and uh, about a year ago, our group was selected. Uh, at that time, we talked with the WCBL commissioner and founding John Eric Candy of the Okotoks Dog in March of 2020. Uh, at that point, they really had no interest in talking further because the prospects had uh, the territorial right uh, to the field and we were hoping to get a possible second team bring keep the prospects in and have a second team in we think that uh, a city the size of Edmonton seven uh, nine hundred seventy thousand people uh, could certainly uh, you know justify two teams uh, we contacted the prospects owner in May of 2020 and we uh, actually offered four quite lucrative offers uh, and the next morning he rejected all four outright uh, so we realized then that probably his main plan was to move to Spruce Grove and because of the uh, West uh, Western Canadian Baseball League has a 50-kilometer territorial clause. That would mean that basically Remax Field would be kept completely empty uh, for a number of years. Uh, as a future operator of the field, of course, we didn't have a lot of choice other than to look at different options. So Edmontonians could continue to watch competitive baseball. Uh, fortunately, within three months, and many teams took two or three years to get a franchise. It took uh, Dale and I and some other people three months uh, to get the, the West Coast League franchise. And um, you know, it's really nice. In fact, it was kind of humbling to to hear that it was a unanimous decision in the West Coast League that they wanted Edmonton as part of their league. So we're really proud of that. I think we did our job, and so does Edmonton. You know, it's a great, uh, it's a great city and a beautiful facility. Uh, interesting enough, about a month ago, uh, that same WCBL commissioner and John Ercandia uh, initiated discussions with us again on waiving the territorial clause because I think they wanted to have a team in Remax Field. But by that time, we had established a really good relationship relationship with the West Coast League and unfortunately when we wanted to talk to them five months ago uh, they weren't particularly interested so again we're, we're really happy that the prospects will build that beautiful stadium as first Grove and continue to play in the WCBL because you know really having a number of elite baseball teams in northern Alberta really will give our young baseball players the opportunity to play someday maybe at an elite level in front of their friends and family so ultimately it's not a, a we versus them it's more what's best for the community and our, our children and young athletes. Now, Randy, you and I have talked in the past as, as this story was was gathering steam and, and, and your group eventually got the lease that there is a larger vision here. Um, can, I, can I ask about that? Is there anything concrete for other programmings or activities in the area besides Riverhawks baseball games? Absolutely. You know, I think, Reed, that's a really important comment you make because there was uh, councillors in city council that were saying, you know, we're getting 28 dates out of 365. And uh, that's just not good enough. The, the facility is on land that is very, very valuable. And there was some thought of taking the uh, Remax field down and putting condominiums up. And, you know, a lot of us think that the city the size of Edmonton deserves a, a Rogers place for hockey. It deserves Commonwealth Stadium for football. And it deserves Remax field for baseball. So what we tried to do is go to the city 
and say, rather than just 28 home dates where we're going to have people there, let's try to expand that. Rather than being exclusive, let's try to be inclusive in our community involvement. So really, we have four prime goals, I think. The first goal is to bring in very competitive and exciting baseball. And I think for the West Coast League, we absolutely uh, hit the nail on the head there. The second part is to be involved with local uh, companies and organizations that uh, like to be involved in amateur sports, really love the community, uh, want to create an, an enjoyable environment. We know that there's probably a goal 1,500, 2,000 active baseball fans that love the baseball. What we're interested in is those 965,000 people who maybe know what a baseball looks like, but they love a cold craft beer, they love the River Valley view, they want to come down and see a little bit of baseball and then be entertained. So rather than just simply baseball, we want to bring this as an entertainment experience. The third thing, though, because of course there is only 27 home games in the West Coast League, is to really open this up to minor baseball, softball, and slow pitch. Um, we think Kennedy, just imagine if a young 12-year-old was taking ground balls at shortstop on a Saturday at, at 2 p.m. and at 7 p.m. he was up in the stands watching his favorite West Coast League players. I think that's really important. As a, a citizen of Edmonton, you know, I want my center daughter or grandchildren to go up there and be able to play. So I think that's a real focus for us. The final uh, goal that I think is really important as well is as much as we're supporting people, uh, not everybody in Edmonton is a sports person. They have an interest in music and arts and culture in many different areas. And so I don't think we should be so close-minded to say that this beautiful facility should only be used for baseball. So we're really hoping to contact the people in the music uh, and uh, culture, uh, the art community, and see whether there may be some really creative ways of using Remax Field on the off days uh, so that everybody in Edmonton, not just the baseball fans, can appreciate this beautiful facility. All right, that is Randy Gregg. We're back with some reflections on the Spengler Cup. Are you stuffed full of turkey or your favorite food of choice on Thanksgiving? Maybe a canned ham, perhaps? Hmm? Hope you're doing well. Best of inside sports tonight on 630 Chet. Thanks for coming along for the ride. The Spengler Cup, another casualty of the pandemic. It will not be contested this year in Switzerland. Caught up with Dominic Pittis, who is the all-time games played leader for Team Canada at the Spengler Cup. It's a bit of a trek to get there. You're climbing up the mountains. It's, um, you know, there's some switchbacks going back and forth to, to actually get up to the to DeVos. And then it's just a little, really a little ski village, to be quite honest with you. Um, you know, there's a couple, there's a, a loop, a uh, couple streets, like a loop that kind of goes around where all the, the, the hotels and restaurants are on. and. Um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what the population swells to during uh, Christmas time, but I, I would I would think it's probably, you know, five or six fold from what they normally have there. And, um, you know, it seems to be DeVos and obviously there's St. Moritz and some other places, but during Christmas time, the Swiss... Um, they generally flock to those lo- and and flock to those locations, especially for the Spengler Cup. Uh, it's it's such a traditional thing for the Swiss to go up there and to um, you know they've got these big beer tents and everything else going on, all different kinds of activities. And then there's that there's the games and which are generally sold out up to a year in advance. Oh wow! Okay, well, I want to ask you about the hype and and the crowd. It, it's not the size of an NHL rink. 
but I understand it might sound like that. I mean, <laughs> what's the atmosphere like when you skate onto the ice for a game or, e- or even during games? It must be pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's just, I mean, the atmosphere generally in Europe is a little bit different than what we're used to here in North America. It's, uh, I kind of equate it to if you've ever watched a soccer game when they're cheering and chanting throughout the whole game, it's very similar. There's probably standing room if there's 7,500 people let's say and again they've just done a renovation I've seen so maybe they increase the attendance size but when I was there it was around 7,500 um, and I would say probably you know 3,000 of that would be standing room uh, again I could be off of my numbers and and literally those those that standing room is like a chorus uh throughout the whole game just different chants and different um you know songs that they sing and then you know during during the spangler cup really everybody gets involved into it even you know everybody that's sitting in in the uh the seats as well really get um right into it and and as i say like there's some songs um that they sing and the whole building sing it so it really is a a unique experience from that standpoint and so it's just yeah there's a buzz for sure is the canadian team are, are you guys, I, and I think most people like Canadians, but, you know, Canadian hockey is often successful. So were you guys sort of the villains of the tournament? Or were you adopted by some of the fans? Or, or yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a little bit of a love-hate, I think, there, a little bit. I think, uh, obviously, you know, the uh, you know the Canadians tend to have a little bit of success internationally. So, um you know, just they they tend to try to, you know, uh, obviously DeVos, the the Swiss teams, they'll cheer heavily for them, and um, you know they're they're uh, politically correct, I guess, when you know the Canadians are are against, uh, you know, whether it's a Czech team or a Russian team, but I tend to they're not upset if we lose. I can I can. Uh, I can I can probably uh, say that. <laughs> Dominic Pittis joining us on Inside Sports tonight with some uh, memories of playing in the Spengler Cup. Of course, that tournament will not take place this holiday season, and it's quite a. I mean, it's obviously the atmosphere is incredible, and, and and you speak highly of of the arena and the city, but it's it's a bit of a grind, right? Like it'd be four days and four games, five games, and five or six days. I mean, you're just going almost the whole time. Yeah, and that and that's a little bit. It's a little bit deceiving as a player initially, um, you know, because <clears throat> Hockey Canada does a fabulous job in taking care of the families. Um, you know, they take care of their accommodations, uh, the accommodations which during Christmas time, and I can't even imagine what they are, I would say north of 500 uh, Canadian a night. Um, and they, um, you know, basically give them activities all day long and everything else but from a player standpoint it's uh, like you mentioned it's a grind and, and the level is high like i know when we were there um we played at some russian teams and like their payroll uh at the time and again we're talking you know 10 15 years ago was like 60 million bucks and and so i mean there's some high level players that place and they're basically all the the imports um from the swiss league and the swiss league only has a certain amount of imports so um the the quality of player and the level of player pretty high and um like it was it definitely was a grind and during they've they've 
been more successful as of late but when <clears throat> when um when we were there when i was there uh i i, I want to say we went to four or five finals and we won one of them and so it yeah it, it was definitely uh definitely not an easy tournament to win and and uh the level was high and and as you as you mentioned sometimes if you the, the way the setup was at the time if you if you you could end up playing um you know five games in in uh six days and so it's it, it's definitely uh definitely not for the faint of heart that's for sure yeah well good experiences for you over there it sounds like it and, and look you played uh you played almost a decade in europe tell, tell me a little bit about uh the decision to go over there to begin with I, I i've asked this to a lot of players who've gone to europe and i i kind of have got the sense dominic they all wanted to go but there was always that what if and family stuff maybe and are, are you going to get back to the AHL or the NHL or all those kinds of things. I wonder what it, what went into the decision for you at the time. I think it was 04, 05, your first season over there. Yeah, it was. I'll be honest with you. I I, I thought I was going to go over for, you know, potentially a year because there was, uh, you know, quite you know at the time it was a pretty much a definite that there was going to be the full year lockout so you know i had made my decision and and i was you know informed by the organization with i was which i was with at the time was hey um you know you're probably not going to play next year we'd like to have you back but we're going to play our younger guys everybody's going to be in the american league um so you're probably not going to play um you know we'll sign you but like as i say there's no guarantees there so i went with i'm like well i you know i'd like to play so i signed relatively early the season before probably in february um to sign for that next year and as i say my intention was just to go over for a year and then kind of reevaluate and and um once the lockout had, had, was over i would come back and um you know i a couple couple things occurred when i went over i, I didn't realize one how what you know what it was like what it would be like what the quality was going to be like you know you have your preconceived ideas as to the level of play or um you know the quality of living whatever it would be and i was just so impressed with um the level of play how you know how fit you had to be to be able to play that style of play which was obviously the rink's bigger there's a lot more skating involved there's um you know um a lot of a lot more speed just because of, of the extra of the extra space and um i really really enjoyed it um and you know it, it forced me to to be as good as <clears throat> as good as i could be physically and mentally and then there was the pressure of only being a certain um certain amount of imports and so and then on on the family side of things um you know you, you really couldn't beat uh, staying in um you know, no, no overnight road trips and being able to stay, um, you know, in your own bed pretty much most nights. So, um, yeah, it, it ended up, you know, pulling me in and, and uh, really enjoyed my time there. All right, that was former Edmonton Oiler Dominic Pittis. Good to talk to him. Best of Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Coming back. Tyson Berry, the new guy on the Oilers' blue line. He was signed to a one-year deal on the weekend, $3.75 million. New players coming into Edmonton, and that means players going out as well. After four years with the Oilers, Matt Benning did not receive a qualifying offer from the team, so he became an unrestricted free agent, and he signs with the Nashville Predators. I think, uh, I mean, it was a combination effort of, of my agent and, 
and the Nashville Predators linking together today and, and uh, discussing what uh, they want wanted and that sort of thing. And um, I saw, I mean, when I kind of found out the news that Edmonton um, um, maybe wasn't the best spot for me anymore, um, you kind of go through other teams' rosters and see where where you could maybe fit and have an impact. And, and Nashville was, was definitely that team. And um, I think for me, I valued a, a good team and and Nashville is exactly that and um, they've been in the mix um, not only to win but I mean win the Stanley Cup for for a while now so that that was important to me um, and they uh, they really valued me um, calling me and and uh, just being honest and open with me and and I I uh, I, I found that uh, I was welcome there and, and that sort of thing and GM did a great job and in uh, talking with my agent and uh, very happy with the whole situation and uh, excited for a new start. When you look back on your time with the Oilers, Matt, I, I know you love being an Oiler. You're, you're from Edmonton, so you got to play for your hometown team. I, I was looking at your, your stats. You actually played more in your first two years than you did in years three and four, which is sort of the opposite of how it goes for, for players. Um, did you ever get a sense of why you were being used the way you were used? Was there any frustration along the way you had to deal with? Yeah, I'd, I'd say there was, there was some frustration there. I mean, um, I think kind of year two and a little bit in year three, I was um, – trying to find my game again and I thought this last year um I thought my game was solid it's just I, I was unlucky with uh with some injuries but um yeah I think I, th- I think that yeah my time kind of went down as, as I went uh, from kind of 15 minutes to 14 and then this past year um but I I mean at the end of the day it's the coaches making that decision they see uh, they see whatever they see and and um, they kind of give ice accordingly and, and that sort of thing and um, I think if I look back to it, my first year I was penalty killing a lot and I was giving me an extra minute to two and sometimes three minutes a night depending so um, and I mean last year I, I didn't I didn't penalty kill um, at all so um, yeah I mean it's it's one of those ones where you, you can't really complain. You just got to work and, and worry about yourself. But, yeah, it was frustrating at times. And, look, you were on the Oilers team that broke the playoff drought. You got your first NHL point, NHL goal. You played with a couple of teammates that won the Hart Trophy and won scoring races and stuff like this. Do you, do you have a highlight or two, a game or a moment you're really going to remember as an Oiler? Jeez. Um well, I'm definitely going to remember um, my first year when we made the playoffs. I mean, that was not only special for me being um, in the NHL and playing a playoff game, but, I mean, I grew up watching this team and cheering for this team and and for the fans to wait that long. I mean, I, I was a fan waiting that long, and then I, I got to fulfill my dream and play in the NHL and, and for my home team. So um, that was extremely cool and special. Um because I, I knew kind of what, what the fans were going through and, and that sort of thing. So um, I'd say that moment was, was special. Um, obviously, I, I'm always um, thankful for the Oilers to, that they brought me in, kind of got my foot in the door, gave me my first opportunity in the NHL. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's 
it's it was a tough decision for me to to move on from Edmonton. Um, I, the guys in the dressing room are unbelievable guys, lifelong friends. Um, I think that was the hardest part, but I think for me, just to um, continue my career and and um, take a step forward, I, I needed to have uh, a new look and a new opportunity. That is Matt Benning. We wish him the best with the Preds. When we get back, you'll hear from country music star Gord Bamford. <laughs> show gord you're on with reed that was your tune dive bar now where would you possibly get the inspiration for a song like that <laughs> you know good to be back on reed you know that was uh that was actually a song that was pitched to me another canadian guy wrote that by the name of Tebe, and uh I, I actually put it on hold and then i got a call about two weeks later and they're like sorry man we gotta take this off hold a guy by the name of blake shelton likes the song as well and i was like well that's too bad so i ended up losing the song and then he didn't cut it, and I got it back, so and it went number one. So I guess, uh, guess I was lucky a couple times there. Well, I think the last time you were on the show, uh, we were talking about Breakfast Beer was one of your tunes, and now you got one called Dive Bar. So you don't mind putting a little bit of... Uh, it's nice to be holding a pint when you're listening to your music, I guess. <laughs> There's a bit of a trend there, I guess, eh? <laughs> well, it's good to have you on the show. I want to I want to go down the musical road with you a bit here because uh, I, I do enjoy um, you know people in the entertainment industry and, and how they've been able to excel, which you've definitely done. Uh, but you're a big sports fan as well, big hockey fan. Uh, now I've tweeted out these links. The links are on your account and on the Spruce Grove Saints. But tell us what you're doing here with the Spruce Grove Saints. This is pretty cool. Yeah, so we're excited. You know, we've been out doing these driving shows the last couple months. They've been going really great, and then. You know, I got a call from uh, JJ Bear, who's a friend of mine uh, from back in back in the day, you know, and then obviously worked with the orders for many years. And um, you know, they wanted to put something together for the community and the people there to, you know, have a little entertainment with all this pandemic and everything going on, and then and give back to local charities and in the area. And uh, you know, I just jumped at the opportunity. You know, it's it's a great uh, great opportunity for us to go out and play another drive-in and. And, uh, you know, to get the people of Natchison and the Spruce Grove area to go to a concert and, and raise some money for the community. So, yeah, we've, we've got these things dialed in now. We've, they're live shows with big screens, and you come in your vehicles, and you, you just sit in the back of your truck or in your vehicle and um, tailgate and have fun. And, you know, it's, it's been really... Uh, it's been really great you know we've seen lots of families come in and lots of lots of different people and car loads of course it's you know and when you buy your ticket it's per car load so you get six people it's very cost very cost effective so we've been having lots of success with it and i'm i'm glad we're continuing it so it's great 
Well, that is awesome. So, uh, again, this is Saturday, October 24th uh, at 7. Uh, it's uh, in partnership with GS Construction and Next Gen Transportation, Hockey Sticks and Honky Tonk, a drive-in concert featuring Gord Bamford. Uh, and you're helping out uh, you're helping out the Saints, but a couple of charities as well, I believe. Yeah, you know, obviously, you know, it, it's going to be great for the Saints, but the fact that they're, Giving back to the community is pretty cool too. So that yeah, they're gonna be helping out charities there, and uh, you know, thanks to those sponsors for stepping up and and you know, covering off our cost to be there and do it, and all the ticket money will go back to charities, and and it's gonna be a great day. And and another cool thing that they, they got going on is a, is a Christmas toy, um, Christmas Christmas toy drive. So uh, you know, instead of a food drive, you know, we're, we're not allowed to do that with the with the rules. But the Christmas toy drive is a great idea, and. You know, bring all the toys that you don't you aren't playing with anymore, and maybe some less fortunate kids can have them. So that's going to be pretty neat as well. Yeah, good for you for doing this. Uh, the charities Cure ECHS One and the Foundation for Cohesive Communities Parkland County, and and again, this is all on the Saints uh, Saints website. So and it, it is pretty neat, Gord. Uh, you know, these drive-in concerts and and finding ways for people to connect and connect through music. Maybe we can't gather in as large a groups as we used mm-hmm. to, and we still got to kind of keep our distance even when we're at a, a concert like yours. But it, it just so many musicians and inter- entertainers like you have still found ways to connect with oh, an audience, and I think that's great. For sure, you know, and it was, you know, we were on a 40-date tour across Canada. We had three shows in, and it shut down. It was the biggest tour yet. And so we, uh, you know, it's all started got a call from the president of ATV and they wanted to do something in Alberta for the for mental health so it all started that way and we raised a bunch of money for mental health which is a huge uh, huge thing especially nowadays and for us as musicians and crew we're just pumped to be able to play you know we didn't know when we we're going back and you know basically uh you know by March it looked like we weren't gonna well we didn't know when we we're gonna go back read and all of a sudden we had you know full summer of shows booked and we're you know albeit it wasn't what we're used to all making, we were just out there and happy to be playing music and, and giving and giving back to the people because, you know, it was so uh, you know people to get out of the house and come in and and listen to music again was a pretty cool thing. And like I said, we're seeing all sorts of people come out and you know now like I think it's better now they can sit in their back of their vehicles. There's a lot uh, for us. It is you know we can actually see their faces and I think better for them. But uh, it's been uh, it's been something that we never thought we'd ever do, but. You know, it's been pretty cool. It's it's almost like it it could happen in real life. You know, where you kind of do a college tailgate, drive your car in type thing. It's weird how it all happens, but it feels pretty good out there. Gord, uh, I believe you're also a hockey dad. What's the the status of uh, any hockey player or players in your family? Yeah, you know, I'm a hockey dad, and uh, my son Nash is was in Bantam draft in an 04 draft into Kamloops. So, yeah, I know he couldn't go to camp there this year. They didn't have it, but uh, he's. Uh, He's been skating in cameras with the junior A team there and, and uh, just playing up there right now. So, um, yeah, it's a weird year. I think it's just a development year, it looks like, and a bit of an opportunity for him to stay home another year and, and you know, get his upgrades, maybe get some grade 12 schooling. He's in grade 11 and and just continue to develop and uh, work his butt off and and try and get, get to Kamloops or to a junior A team at some point you know, in the next couple of years would be great for him and be great uh, great for, for us. We'd be pretty proud of him. We're proud of him already, and we hope he continues to play hockey and succeed. So, 
Now, is Nash interested in Dad's music or Dad's musical career, or did he have any uh, any musical inclinations himself? <laughs> no, I mean, I, he, I, he's got a good voice. I've heard him before. My my oldest daughter Paisley is really good, and uh, she actually got up and performed our last drive-in show. So who knows? I might convince her to play. Um, <laughs> he's, he's great. You know, she's just just turned fourteen, and she's uh, she's kind of got the gift. You know, she's got that tone and that voice that. It's hard to get, you know, and uh, she's, uh, put it this way, she gets more views on Facebook than I do already, so it's, it's like, oh, boy, what do we got here? So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and the little one plays a little fiddle, and, you know, we all love our sports, but, uh, you know, we live out here on Pelican View Estates and, and by Basher on Buffalo Lake, and we've, we've enjoyed the family time and the fishing and the outdoor stuff, you know, and this little bit of downtime that we're in, but uh, we'd sure love to, everybody's happy back in school, and I'd sure like to see, see this economy pick back up and get back to normal because we need that so i'm just encouraging people to follow the rules out there you know that's our only way to get back to normal a normal thing here again and uh, it's important so uh that's what we're doing on this drive-in show and, and uh hopefully everybody continues to do that so we can uh get back get our economy back where it needs to be because it's uh it's not good right now yeah for sure so you're near bashaw now eh? my my uncle used to live near new norway uh, yeah, no, we go through there all the time, and uh, yeah. kids play, play play school sports there. But I kind of hung out here when I was a kid. I had some friends up here, and then we moved back from Nashville. Got a really good opportunity to to buy some lakefront property. My friends had developed. They they kind of want us in here, and it's it's actually been crazy in these COVID times. It's been taken off. Like all these lakefront lots have been selling, and you think it'd be the opposite, but. Yeah, it's a beautiful spot. We, we love it out here. So, Gord Bamford joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Check my Twitter, his Twitter, Spruce Grove Saints, uh, Saints website for his uh, upcoming show Saturday, October 24th, Hockey Sticks and Hockey Talk. Um, all right, I mean, you have a job where you often work in the evening. Uh, were you able to watch a lot of the playoffs? Um, you know, it didn't, go, uh, didn't go as we were hoping for the Oilers, but how much of the, the bubble hockey did you get to enjoy and what did you think? Yeah, you know what I watched? I watched the fair. I watched all the order stuff, obviously, being a big order fan. But, yeah, I, I found myself watching towards the end even more and more. I did watch the finals, and I was kind of pulling for Dallas. You know, I felt like they had a had a pretty good chemistry going there and a, a real team atmosphere. But, uh, you know, I, it, as a hockey fan, I mean, I kind of, at the end of the day, I, I, I started not even noticing people in the building. Obviously, it would be great to have them in there, but... Yeah, it was fun to you know have have it back on TV and and watch it. And same with baseball and stuff. The playoffs are always fun, so we're starting to watch that. But yeah, not this, I'm sure it wasn't the same for the players. It, what was impressive was the passion that you know they did have on the ice. I mean, you could see it, you know. And um, and I think that that would have been really tough as a athlete to you know to perform at a high level without the but you know that sixth fan and the you know, sixth guy on the, on the ice with the fans, you know, but uh, yeah, it, it was good. I, I'm glad it was back and hopefully it gets going again here soon. Cause it's, uh, it's not a lot on TV. <laughs> I was yeah. of that, so. Okay. Let, let's talk a little bit of music. Um, I should mention Dive Bar, the track we played coming back, was uh, up for single of the year at the Canadian Country Music Association Awards in 2019. You're also a Fans' Choice Award nominee, Songwriter of the Year Award nominee, and you've been nominated tons of times. You won, I think it was 2015, you got Male Artist, Single, Songwriter. So, I mean, you're you're very accomplished, obviously. Uh, where, where do the where does the, the idea for a song come from? Is it a lyric? Is it a guitar riff? I, I'm just wondering where it all starts. Good question. I mean, from my experience, and I think for a lot of writers, is uh, 
Yeah, like I, back in the day when I, I started writing songs and, and learning, I had a really good teacher, you know, so I kind of went through the whole the whole journeyman trend of learning, you know, year one, two, three, four, and then got good at it. But uh, um, we always just start with titles. So back in the day, I'd have a book full of titles, and, and now I've got an iPhone full of title, titles. So, <laughs> yeah, you just start with titles, and, and uh, most of my writing is either co- with another person or, or to co-write stuff. I've written a few things on my own, but, yeah, you start with a title and an idea behind the title, and, and you sit down in a room with... You know, some guitars or some people play piano or any way you go. And you just, uh, you know, verse. Sometimes the chorus comes first. Sometimes it's verse, chorus. And, but it's always around a hook, you know, a, like a went for one state till two or a you know, blame it on that red dress. Or I mean, Little Guy was a song I wrote about my son, you know, eight hours after he was born. So obviously that was more of a life experience for me. But I kind of write songs looking at what other people want to hear i never write a song directly about what i'm feeling you know which sounds weird i kind of i kind of look at it as it, from the from the fan and go like what, what do you think they'd want to hear and you know that's the one thing a guy this guy by the name of byron hill told me years ago was that's, he said just it's real simple he said just keep it simple and i've just kept all my music simple you know and and songs that people can relate to and you know it's worked for me so i I, i've never you know if it ain't broke don't don't fix it type thing so it's all all that way really I, I love how you how you put that and find that connection. And if you've ever listened to the show, uh, I'm sure you know I like the the rock band Def Leppard, and I, I like all the yeah. trivia about them. And they're that's one of my favorite records. That yeah. yeah. So and that's that's my story. When when they were making that with the great producer Mutt Lang, he told yeah. them, if you want to play twenty thousand seat arenas, you better write songs that sound good in twenty thousand seat arenas. And that's why they have all the sing along lyrics, right? Because yeah. they realize we want to get the crowd involved yeah that's a great that's a great quote and, and actually a guy funny the guy i work with now he studied under mutt lang so his mutt did all the shania stuff too so he was down there in switzerland back in the day and you know the aussie stuff and all that so it's uh i mean there's not a better guy to have behind songs than mutt lang so that's it man you just try and play songs you write songs or play songs that people want to hear you know and not not songs you want to hear necessarily and that's my opinion anyways so when you're working in the studio, obviously you have to listen over and over again, and then you play songs live. But if if a song of yours comes on the radio, or we just played Dive Bar coming back from break, can can you listen to your own material that way, or do you, or do you find it awkward or odd? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was kind of I was I was digging that. So I was, uh, yeah, I was, I can I I listen to it, and I think more nowadays I like to listen to it more. I mean, when I first started coming on the radio was kind of a surreal moment where holy cow i'm on the radio and, and it's kind, of, <laughs> kind of scary you know but now i it's fun to hear hear the songs and you know as your kids get older and they go to school or they're in high school you know all of a sudden their friends are playing it and you know they still think you're cool so it's it's good all right that was good to catch up with gord bamford this has been the best of inside sports on 630 chad you've also heard from matt benning dominic pittis jake neighbors tony granato to get the latest on the Oilers and free agency, go to 630chet.com, globalnews.ca. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks to Dave Campbell, our producer. Andrew Quinnell working in the studio tonight. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 6. 630Chet Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630Chet.